It's time for the Little Agency That Roars podcast, a podcast that connects you with talented and brilliant people. And that's all of us. We are available wherever you stream your podcast, so go ahead and find us and subscribe. I'm your host, Michael Fasoni, and let's get started. You got audio, you can hear me. Yeah, you got to start, you sound great. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. should be good to go. All right, Tim, you're good. Okay, I'm sitting here with Scott Walterbach, partner at Bessine Walterbach. That's right. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. I'm glad we finally made it work. Yeah. Yeah, we had some scheduling issues. Um, tell us, what is Bessine Walterbach? Bessine Walterbach is a uh, law firm in Gladstone. We have uh, four attorneys and about 11 staff people, and we do... Primarily two things. One is we do creditors' rights work, which manifests in a lot of different ways. Generally, you would think about it as uh, consumer collection, but we also do business debt, it's commercial collection. We do bankruptcy claims. We do work comp claims. Um, so hospital liens, all, all those sorts of things that help uh, probate, for example. All those sorts of things that help creditors collect the money that they're owed. And then the second thing we do is some real estate work. I represent some uh, real estate investors, usually in tax-distressed properties in the foreclosure process. So I help them through that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. How long have you been in business? We started in... This firm has been around for you know, 30, 40 years, but I took it over February... 15th of 2010. So uh, coming on 13 years, okay. I believe. I do and you have a partner. I do have a partner. His name's Matt Bassine. And uh, how we got into it is that uh, his uncle was the proprietor for a long time. And uh, I'm just a, a family friend uh, that his oldest, the former proprietor's oldest son was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. And, uh, you know, had gone to law school and all that kind of thing. And and came back to Kansas City, and then uh, Matt was living up in Iowa at the time, and, and we decided to, to take over the firm uh, when he got sick, and he, he passed away from cancer in 2009, and so we took it over in, in 2009, to, late 2009, early 2010, and, uh, you know, here we are today. So the rest is history, so to speak. You knew Matt prior? I knew who he was. I had met him a couple of times. I knew him just as like my friend's cousin. I think I'd seen him at a family function or two here or there. So I had met him, yes. I didn't know him. But you knew him as a child, not just in I thought maybe you met him in yeah. college. Uh in high school. Okay. Is, is high when school. I would have probably met him the first time. And he's a couple of years older than me, so he might have been in late high school, maybe even early college the first time I met him, yeah. Okay. I don't know if either of us actually know when the first time we met was, but uh, we know that it was at a, a family function. Did you two attend the same law school? No, Matt went to Iowa, and he graduated, I want to say, three or four years before I did, um, and I went to Indiana. So, How does the partnership form then? Well, when, uh, you know, they, they say a lot of times it's, who you know, not what you know. So we, we both had this common connection of a person that, that had a law firm. Matt had worked at this law firm previously, and then um, I think as a, as a new attorney, getting some courtroom experience, that kind of thing. And then he had moved back to Iowa, to his hometown, to pursue 
uh, more of a general practice uh, at a smaller firm up in Burlington, Iowa. Well, when uh, Larry Inkelman was his name, when he got sick in in late 2009, one of their first calls was to me because, A, I was somebody that they knew, but also I was, you know, a couple years out of law school, so I had a little bit of experience. And I also had what you really need to have in Kansas City as an attorney, which is a Missouri license and a Kansas license. So they knew I had both of those. So I was well situated to, to jump in and help out. They didn't know at the time that I was looking for a full-time gig. I was looking to make a change. So, um, and actually, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I, I had a meeting with my bosses at the time. I was working at a small law firm up by the airport. And he comes in and he said, they're older, you know, and I knew the writing was on the wall. This wasn't going to be a forever type of job, this first job of my career. And we had a meeting that morning. I don't even remember what day it was, but they said, you know, basically you got a month or two and then, you know, I'm moving to Florida and the other one's retiring and that's going to kind of be it. Um, Okay. And so then I was really starting to look. (laughs) But late morning, I get a phone call the same day, like maybe just a couple hours later from my best friend's mom, who was the spouse of of Larry, uh, Diane. And she called me and she said, hey, you know, this has come up. We're looking for somebody to help. Could you just step in and help us a little bit till we figure out what we're going to do? Oh, wow. I was like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and so we had this conversation about where I was at. I had done some interviews, but but wasn't uh, ready to to you know take a new job. Uh, I had interviewed in Wichita, for example, and I wasn't really ready to move to Wichita, but it was just something that was available, so I was kind of checking it out. Uh, anyway, so we had several meetings over the course of that winter, um, and then I started in February. Matt came down from Iowa. We kind of... Uh, talked about what it could look like, what what our plan for it was, and I thought maybe we were going to be partners and hit the ground running and take this on and see what we could make of it. Well, I go to work on Tuesday morning, and Matt's there, and we go to court together, and he kind of shows me, you know, generally kind of what, what this work is all about. For example, I had heard the word garnishment, but I had no idea really what it was, <laughs> and that's something that's really fundamental to what we do, so it was it was it's kind of funny looking back on it but anyways we went to court and everything and then I think it was later that afternoon he said well I think you got this I'll you know <laughs> I'm going back to Iowa and I'll, I'll check check in with you later <clears throat> so I said oh okay um you know I, I I didn't really know if I was ready but I, I suppose that's just normal um when when this was all happening uh, I really was, especially in retrospect, I really was ready for it, and I wanted a challenge, and I wanted to be busy, and I wanted to figure things out, and I wanted to have some autonomy. And so, like, it just kind of ended up being, like, the perfect thing. Well, fast forward a year or two, we had done a lot of upgrades. Like, we didn't even have a server. We barely had computers. Um, uh, we, we had clients, and we had plenty of work to do, uh, but it just wasn't really up to what you know, I, I would think it should be in. And so uh, we moved offices, we, you know, kind of restructured it and did all these things in the first year, year and a half I was there. 
anyways, he comes down back down from Iowa and he says, why don't we just be 50-50 partners and we'll just do this thing together. And then it took him a couple more months and then eventually he moved down here and, and, and then it was, it's, it's just been a 50-50 thing since then. And it's been, it's been working pretty well. We are different personality wise in a lot of way, a lot of ways, but, but we, we have a lot of the same like core values as far as like work-life balance and our financial goals and stuff like that. So it's it's been a really good match, even though a lot of times he's kind of the yin to my yang. That's important in a partnership. Yeah. Um, probably a lot more important than anything business-related. How you get along and how you see your life more generally. Um, for example, like, it's really important for us to, like, treat people well, whether that means we're going to be more successful in business or not. Um uh, also, for example, we both fundamentally believe that the money part of it and, you know, because we have payroll and expenses and we have things we got to do and we have both have fam- young families to support. But we just we fundamentally believe and it's always proven true that if we take care of the things that we are supposed to take care of, like if we get good at the things that, that we need to be good at, that that part will take care of itself. And so... Um, it just just that that where we are in our walk of life, we're both having young kids and kind of um, having some of the same like core values, although not all of them. I mean, we're different religions. We're probably different political parties, although we, we talk about politics, you know, pretty openly. So we're, we're different in a lot of ways. I'm more go, go, go. And he's more, hey, let's slow down and think about this kind of thing. And so the, the dynamic there, um, my wife has said many times, uh, you know, you need somebody to pull you back sometimes, and he need he needs somebody to light a fire under him sometimes. So I think it it kind of works that way really well. Do you guys spend time together outside of work? You know, we don't really. Um, we we do uh, office functions and, and things like that together. Um, you just kind of find I, that Monday through Friday is enough. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I think either of us would be open to it if, if it happened. And it's not to say we avoid it or anything like that. I just think, right. especially for the whole time we've known each other, these 13 years, we've pretty much that whole time, we've both had little, little kids. And okay. so that kind of takes up a lot of your energy and time and effort and desire to, you know, to foster new friendships. But yeah, I mean, we, we get along pretty well in the office, but I wouldn't say, um, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't hang out really much on the weekends. That's not to say we don't occasionally go out to dinner or go play sure. golf together or something like that. Sure, sure, we do all that kind of stuff, yeah. Who's the better golfer? He is, yeah. Oh, you answer that fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to play, but I see a lot of the course when I play. <laughs> I see a lot of the course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> I'd like to get my money's worth. Right. I get enough strokes in to <laughs> get your money's really right. get some value out of the green fee. Yeah, <laughs> support Titleist. Yeah, that's that's right. Lose a couple dozen balls. Yeah, well, maybe the uh, uh, the the you know the recycled uh, balls. Uh, I, I tend to buy those because oh. uh, I lose them so frequently. So <laughs> the driving range yeah. balls. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, in your office is in Gladstone. It is, and it's it's been there since uh, before my time. Uh, we did move offices, like I talked about, but it, we're we're still in Gladstone. We like Gladstone for a lot of reasons. Um, it's it's a great area, and and it's 
central enough that we can get to all the courthouses. We do. We are out in court a lot, so we do go to all mm. the courthouses uh, in the area and and outlying areas as well. But um, uh, at the time, we oh, I was living in Gladstone when we first started, and then he moved to I think just outside of Gladstone in Kansas City, and and now I live in. Uh, we we since moved over to uh, Kansas. We're in Kansas City proper, but we're in Liberty School District. So okay. All of our, our whole base, our whole existence is in the Northland and kind of always has been for me. <laughs> yes, yeah. it has. Yeah. Yes, it has. Let's talk about that. Let's do it. So <clears throat> this is unique. Excuse me. You and I went to grade school together. That's right. We also went to high school together. That's right. I probably haven't spoken to you in 15 years. I would say that's yeah. Is that fair to say. Sounds about right. Haven't seen you probably in fifteen years. Yeah, and they get a phone Save call for like the last year or year and a half or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Excluding the last three years, um, and then one day you call, you email, you text. I can't remember, but you wanted some website help. And first of all, I thought, how cool is it that you know one someone from your past reaches out to do business with you? That's always cool. Yeah, but. Two, I haven't spoken to Scott Walterbach <laughs> in 15 years or seen him. <laughs> you know, that was really cool. Yeah, well, I... And you could have gone anywhere for your, you know, for your project. And, sure. Uh, and I, actually, it's funny that you mentioned it because I, I was talking to a, a, a kind of a new entrepreneur. Maybe I'll hook you up with, with her late, later, but... Uh, okay. Uh, as far as, like, business, you know, uh, uh, she'd be a good interview. Uh, but I was talking to her about she had gone and got some marketing help and, and kind of was a little bit dissatisfied with the results. And I was like, look, for me, I, I know social media is what it is. And there's all these people that do all these different things. But try to find people you already know. Try to find somebody that you know that's in the business that's doing good work and, and go with somebody. I mean, there's Kansas City's not so big that you can't find somebody that you know. I mean, they, you got a big network. It's like... I'd much prefer to work with somebody, and this is true of like all of our vendors uh, at, the, at the law firm, you know, whether it's IT or marketing or anything else, I, I much prefer to work with somebody local that I know, that maybe I know, you know, something about their history or their family and that I have a face or that picks up the phone when you mm-hmm. call, that, that sort of thing. And uh, I think it was you that mentioned like, you know, we kind of operate kind of the same way you do like when you call us like you're gonna get us like we're not so big that we're gonna granted there's a lot of delegation that happens in the the normal day-to-day practice but you and matt are showing up in court yourselves correct you're not we're meeting the clients we're doing the things we're not um you know we're not beholden to some corporate office or something you know we're we're here we're the ones doing it and that's what i love about it for better for worse like those decisions are ours, and we own them, and we learn, and we move on. You know, but you like that personal relationship in all of your business relationships, if you can. Absolutely. I, I just was talking to somebody the other day about how um, the older I get, the more I come to realize that basically everything I do is just a pretext to meet and engage with people. That's what I like to do. So going to court, Sure, I'm going to go to court and do the things that uh, a lawyer does. But what I really want to do, what really interests me is, who's this judge? Why are they doing what they're doing? Who's the clerk? What makes her tick? What is she like? What is she not like? This defendant that I'm talking to, what's going on in their lives? How did they get to this point? What, what does this moment in time mean for them? 
and just just kind of getting to know people. Uh, I, I feel like maybe I'm old fashioned in that sense, uh, but I think my wife has as a has had a positive influence on me in that regard. But that's what I that's what I like to do. That's what I thrive on is, and that's I think one of the reasons that I like this job is because I'm not just sitting behind my desk doing legal research and writing briefs all day. There's a little bit of that, sure, but I'm getting out in court in in my trade groups and in, in the community and doing speaking engagements and things like that. And that's what I really thrive on. That's kind of what keeps me going because the regular practice of law sometimes can be a little bit mundane. It can be a little monotonous. So um, It's funny you said that. It's not funny you said that, but it's ironic you said that because a few weeks ago, there's a lawyer on the other side of this block, uh, Defcota Law, Tark Defcota is a great guy. He once said, Michael, uh, what I say in court can change a person's life. Yeah. That's, that's pretty profound. It's true. Um, for me, it's usually less about what happens in the court hearings because a lot of our court hearings are pretty perfunctory. They're pretty, um, you know, it's pretty cut and dry, that kind of thing. But, but really what happens for me is when I go to talk to people out in the hallway after court or before court. Mm-hmm. And that's when they realize, oh, um, maybe this isn't going to be as awful as I thought it was going to be or maybe this isn't going to be uh, as big of a problem as I thought it was going to be once I take some of the mystery out of it for them. Now, granted, I represent the plaintiff, not them, so I can't necessarily help them you know, all the way. But uh, sometimes you have those conversations, and I really enjoy the ability and the latitude to leave somebody better than I found them in the morning. A lot of times they're nervous. What we're doing in court does have an impact on their lives, and it is important. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't handle it with grace and poise and step by step and, and kind of go through the, the process with them. And um, sometimes you see people when they're not at their best. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, it's a constant reminder to me of the blessings that I've had in my life and all the things that I have to be thankful for. I have a a kind of a built-in daily reminder of that. Because I, I talk to people regularly who are struggling with their bills, who are struggling to make ends meet, who are having a particular difficulty. A lot of times it's with their health or with their family situation or whatever. And um, so I, I have kind of that that grounding, and I think that's good for me. I think it's good for a lot of people, but I think in yeah. particular it's good for me. Yeah. No, I would agree. Um, let's get back to... Again, it was it was such a, an honor is a big word, but it was such an honor to have you reach out and want to do some work together. You know, I think I told a few people, it's like, you're not going to believe he reached out. You know, I don't, um, uh, I've only worked with one other friend. You know, I have one friend that I kind of stay in touch with from my past. Him and I still stay in touch occasionally and do work together. But other than that, it's you, you know, and I yeah. haven't seen you in so long. And so... I also want to talk about what does it feel like um, you come from a large family. I do. Um, I'm not sure how big your own family is, but I know that you have one. And, you know, you're, you're in the same part of the city that you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Do your children go to the same school? No, no. Okay, different don't. school district. Yeah. So let me, what's it like 
raising a family. And it, like Scott Walterbach is now full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like if I had to just, you know, it's kind of wild to think cliff about. note Scott Walterbach. It's like, well, he came from this great big family, you know, um, it's an inextricable part of who I am. I mean, I, in fact, when we were talking just before this, I mentioned it because it, it, it just always seems like it's relevant because I think once you tell people, Hey, I'm the fourth of eight kids. Oh, that means something. I like that. That impacts who you are and how you grew up and kind of how you see the world. And, um, so yeah, I was, I was fourth of eight kids and, and went to, went to school here in the Northland and then went to St. Pius and, and then uh, was off to off to college. I went to Truman State and and then went on to Indiana for law school and, and then eventually found my way back to Kansas City. At the time, I was looking for jobs in St. Louis or Indianapolis or Kansas City and was kind of okay to end up wherever I was, you know, in my early 20s, mid-20s and single and so looking around. and But I ended up back here and... Um, Actually met my wife on Match.com. Really? Was, yeah, she was teaching uh, over here in um, Excelsior Springs School District, and um, it, it was it was at a time when online dating was we've gotten really off track here all of a sudden, but it was on a time when this online, is the track. <laughs> <laughs> this is the track. Online dating was was it was sort what, of what still taboo. This was uh, probably oh two thousand. Eight two thousand nine. Okay, in there. Okay, you might know more specifically. Than well, it wasn't me, taboo. It was just maybe a little bit more it, sacred it than it was becoming, now. <laughs> sort of becoming more mainstream, but it was still something that like I was too proud to do. Like I was okay. not. I was okay. not going to do that. Uh, but one of my good friends, who I would think would be the least likely person to be online dating, he he had met his spouse and. I knew them and went to their wedding and all that. And then finally, one day we were golfing. I just say, hey, by the way, how'd you meet her? And he said, match. And I was like, you've, I, I about fell out of the golf cart. I was floored by this. And I was like, well, maybe I should try it, you know? So anyways, uh, I, I did. And, and, and that's, that's worked out uh, in spades. It's, it's not really as weird as people think. It was just kind of like having a profile and, and chatting, you know, messaging back and forth. And Well, you're uh, still thinking about it. I am, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a funny story. So you get me started on this topic, I'll just go. But, um, but anyways, so we got married in 2011. We had our first kid in 2013. Um, and we've had, I have four. So my kids are nine, seven soon to be six, and just turned four. Three boys and then a girl, wow. Nash, Bo, Judd, and Hannah. So um, they're a big part of my life, and I, I love talking about them. It's, it's you know, I, I've gotten to realize, we just talked about how my parents sold our childhood home recently mm-hmm. um, and, and moved. I, I've started to really kind of realize how home is not necessarily like that physical place that I had always associated with when I was a child. Like it's, it's, it's a feeling of, of the people that you're around. So yeah, it has kind of come full circle and I'm back working in the city that I grew up in. Although I will say it's a lot different than when we grew up here. Um, oh yeah. I tell people, I, I thought Kansas City was cool before it was cool to think Kansas City was cool. <laughs> uh, it didn't have a lot going on. The suburbs were nice, but it didn't have a lot going on in the urban core right. and everything. But now it's a totally different story, and it's, yep. a, it's a really vibrant, uh, good place to be. My wife is actually from California, and she loves it here. 
So, um, and she would never... What part of California? Well, that's a, it's a good question because some people say, well, how do you end up in Excelsior Missouri? Springs. I'm going, that's Excelsior my next question. From, from, that's, that's uh, question from two. California. Well, she has kind of her own story, but her, her father passed away uh, in, okay. in, when she was in high school. She had an uncle that was living out here in Kansas City, okay. to make a long story short. Okay. She wanted to get away for college, but her mom didn't really want her to go away. So the compromise was she could go away as long as she went somewhere where they... Had family already, so that's how she ended up here. She ended up going to UMKC and Jewel, um, and and stayed after that. And and after that, her like her sister lives out here now. Her brother lives out here now. So um, this is definitely home for her, and and she likes Kansas City quite a bit. Do you guys go to the West Coast much then at all, or no? Yeah, we've been out there a couple times. Um, I think a lot of her, she has, she still has some friends out there, and she still has a, a sister that lives out on the coast and a brother that lives not too far from her hometown. So we've been out there a couple times to um, to go to the places they used to go to, like um, San Luis Obispo is where her sister lives, and and they used to you know do their family vacations in Yosemite. So we've been out mm-hmm. there to kind of to kind of do that and to see her you know friends from high school and her. Uh, family friends and her family that's still out there. So, yeah, we've been out there a couple times, although flying with four kids is not fun. So <laughs> we we don't do it frequently. So it makes sense. She moves from the West Coast, comes to Excelsior Springs. Hard hard to meet anyone in Excelsior Springs. Yeah. Gets on Match.com yeah. and meets Scott Walterbach. Yeah, and we were actually living probably, you know, a couple miles away from each other, but we would have never met. Seriously? Because our paths just would have never crossed. She was actually living, like, in Liberty and then... Oh, okay. And then commuting to Excelsior, which, yeah, I mean, that's... Match.com. There you go. Bridging little, the West Coast to the Midwest. Plug. And I have no idea what it's like now. Back then, I don't even think they had an app. I think it was just a website. Well, I hope you don't on. know what it's like now. I don't know what You're it's like. You're not supposed to know what it's like right now. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, wouldn't be right. Yeah. I, I, so is it weird to... Do you ever drive around and think, gosh, you know, these are the streets I grew up on. These are the... You know, when I was w- one of eight, and here I am, you know, with my own family of four, and I own a business in my city. and Yeah, I don't know. A lot of the stuff I was, uh, I went to when I was younger is not there anymore, it seems like. You know, like our like the Berry Road baseball field, for example. Well, it's not, a Sonic now, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's a little bit of that. You know, I'll, I'll tell Katie about places I used to go or things I used to do, but... I don't know. We we kind of lived in our own bubble, and now I'm more like uh, I still really enjoy getting out and exploring the city and finding new things. So sometimes, yeah, it's a little weird. Um, but you know, for example, like I took Katie up to Truman State where I went to school, and we kind of walked around, and she's kind of like, "Okay, great, looks like a college," you know, <laughs> and and that's that. So I don't I don't spend a lot of time. Did she go to college? Yeah, she's uh, she went to UMKC and then William Jewell and oh, she, okay. she she graduated. She has I'm a, sorry if you already said that. No, that's okay. Um, she has her master's degree in early childhood literacy, and she's actually just now back working at uh, a preschool uh, up in Liberty. So, so she moved to the Midwest somewhat early on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I she's got the been impression here for a long time. She was here for a long time before she met me. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I think she'd be here one way or the other, but. Okay. I'm glad it's with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, oh, I forgot my next question, but it's okay. Uh, running a business, 
your business specifically now versus three years ago? Um, that's a very generic question, but pre-COVID versus COVID, your model, not your model, what you guys do, educate me. What's the elevator pitch? It's changed, Michael. It hasn't changed. It's, it's pretty much the same. Um, or we've, we've experienced some seismic shifts, and uh, here's what they are. I would not say seismic. That wouldn't be my word choice. But I would say it's different in a lot of ways, and it's the same in a bunch of ways, which is probably true of a lot of people's experience with the pandem- pandemic. But for us, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had staff at, at halftime so that we could, um, you know, kind of rotate in and out of the office and do the social distancing thing. I would say we were probably more insulated from it than a lot of other businesses because uh, in a law firm, you know, you can, you, you do a lot of work just within your office. Uh, for example, court, uh, for the most part, went almost totally virtual. So we were doing court by WebEx and Zoom um, and some of, the, some of the other video conferencing software. So our... Uh, job transitioned more to sitting at your desk more than than you would have. We weren't driving to all the courthouses and going to all the hearings. And you might say, wow, that probably saved you a lot of time and a lot of expense. And you might be right about those, some of those things, but um, it's pretty inefficient, actually, as far as getting cases resolved. Cases tend to get resolved just the way of things in life get resolved when you sit down and talk to somebody face to face that's that's how you get things done i think i think they the parties need to see the humanity on the other side in order to maybe make that compromise that that gets gets a case settled so you don't really have that opportunity although some of the courts tried to create that opportunity with breakout rooms where you could talk to somebody outside the purview of the court but it it was uh, it was not good at best. We we kind of thought that more people would default, meaning not show up to court, and that was going to be a huge problem for the courts and just access to justice in general. I think what we found was the opposite: that more people showed up for court because they had options for how to do so, to where they could take a break at work and jump on a Zoom, where they didn't have to get oh. in their car and drive downtown and find and pay for parking and get through security and find the court and sure, be really sure. intimidated in an environment that they knew almost nothing about. So I think more people showed up. Cases tended to last a little bit longer. We do a lot of medical debt collection for various hospitals and healthcare providers. Their volumes decreased during that time. I think they were focusing their efforts on you know, providing the care that the pandemic demanded. And so... That sort of work slowed down. Luckily, we've, we're diversified enough that it didn't um, necessarily, um, you know, have have a tragic effect on on the volume of our business. But um, yeah, so different in a lot of ways, and and has made me appreciate a lot of the ways that things were done previously, because now we're sort of back to a time where much of it is back in person. Um, for example, during the pandemic, you know, I tried cases virtually. You know, we'd, we'd found a way to exchange all the exhibits beforehand and we would have a trial on Zoom sitting at my desk in the office, you know. I didn't love it, but it, it was a kind of a, a necessity. So we're back to a time now, back to my thought from a minute ago, we're back to a time now where a lot of stuff is back in person. I think the best judges and the best courts are taking what was good about the changes that we went through and kind of... Uh, 
merging that together with how they were doing it beforehand. So we have, um, like a lot of courts have options about whether you can appear virtually or in person. Um, and so they're taking some of these ideas because law doesn't change very quickly and the administration of law doesn't change very quickly. But during the pandemic, it was kind of like a lot of other industries, you had to change. And, um, you know, for example, they, they stopped doing like criminal trials, but those have to be in person because of some of the protections in the Constitution. So they got really, really backed up as far as, you know, scheduling jury trials in some of these, uh, especially in the more urban counties where a lot of our cases are civil. So you don't you're not necessarily like entitled to like, you know, an in-person uh, you, you are entitled to a jury trial if you request it, but um, m- most of our cases don't have that. So they're bench trials. So we could try them on on uh, virtual or in person. But now we're kind of back to the um, this time where some of the non-evidentiary hearings are in uh, are, are you can still attend virtually for the convenience of it. But then when you get to the point where the rubber meets the road and you're going to have an evidentiary hearing on a motion or let, let's say a trial or something like that, then it's back in person where you know the parties meet in the courthouse and, and do it kind of the old-fashioned way. What's the law that states a criminal uh, trial has to be held in person? Well, it doesn't necessarily say it has to be held in person, but there are constitutional protections, and granted, this is not legal advice. I am a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer if you're listening to this, so that's my standard disclaimer. And I'm not a criminal attorney, but there are provisions in the Constitution that say something along the lines of your, you have the right to uh, confront witnesses. And so could that be done virtually? Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, they have to balance that with the right to a speedy uh, trial uh, with, you know, in front of your peers, which is a jury. So um, especially with the jury, that just gets really cumbersome to try to do virtually, and you don't know necessarily like what people are looking at or what they're doing when they're not in person. So the the courts kind of lose control. How does that work? That. I'm not sure that they did any, but they they would just start. They just started doing jury trials in some of the bigger counties. They started back up kind of after you know, the worst part of the pandemic was over and they're probably just doing masking and distancing and stuff like that. So wait a minute, but they would do a virtual jury? No, I, I'm not aware of anybody that oh, did. Oh, okay, I, I'm just okay. saying in theory, I suppose that's possible, but I, I don't think that's very likely. I'm just wondering, would you have 12 cameras or one camera on right. 12 people? Yeah, I, I have no idea What's how the- that would work. <laughs> Most of our cases are just in front of uh, a judge, like evidentiary hearings and um, trials. So... Usually, it was just the, the courtroom had a, you know, had a Zoom or a WebEx or whatever it is, uh, and and then we would have one at our office. I had one where we went and sat in the conference room, and I just had the the witness who was not a technologically savvy person just kind of sit next to me, and we kind of went and had us both on camera and do the whole thing. But I've also had it where you know they'll they'll just sit at their kitchen table and and do a Zoom and and offsite, and you have to exchange the exhibits beforehand, make sure everybody's looking at the same pages and all that as we're going through the the evidence and so you know it can work it's not it's not what i would prefer it's it's just, it is just easier like a lot of things it's just easier to do in person it makes more sense but you know are you seeing new people come into the uh profession industry whatever you want to call it trade that are perhaps being shortcutted or hurt by this um uh, period you know for example i graduate law school two years ago during covid I happen to land a job, but now I'm practicing law virtually. Yeah. You, who's been practicing law for 12 years prior to having even attempted virtually and, you know, to the manner in which we've had to, 
do you see them being shortchanged in some ways? Like, gosh, you know, you guys really need a one-on-one class in this because you're missing out on... Yeah, we don't have uh, any new attorneys in our, but there's always, you know, there's always... Uh, Not your firm personally. Yeah. I just mean as an industry. I think... Be like, be like someone who gets a new teaching certificate and becomes a teacher and then become a teacher during COVID. Well, I'm I sure... I think a lawyer is absolutely shaped by the experience that they get. And it's not just who you know or where you went to law school. It's what kind of cases are you working on and what are you doing within those cases? So, yeah, I think that absolutely will shape who they are. And some of the newer attorneys that have, like, never gone to court and are just uh, doing it virtually, yeah, I think they're going to have a setback just the same way, like, our children in schools are going to have certain setbacks related to uh, the limitations placed upon us uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, But... Lawyers are also pretty well-educated and pretty resourceful and are usually pretty career-driven. So I think they'll catch up as, as we get back to uh, a new sense of normal. But, yeah, I think absolutely that has to have an effect. What that is ultimately I think remains to be seen on, on this new crop of lawyers. I, I am aware that some of the bar exam scores have not been as good recently and the passage rates have been lower in Missouri. And people are speculating on about why that is. Where'd you hear that? Cultural changes. And um, I think that's been, I I'm, I'm get so many emails from different publications and sure, stuff. Sure. I think I read that in, gotcha. in one of the, the bar puts out these statistics and kind of keeps up on that. So, okay. you know, um, I'm sure the bar exam is way different than whatever it was when I took it in 2007. But, um, but they, but we do kind of, uh, they look at, uh, is it getting harder? Is it getting how many people are applying? How many people are passing, and that sort of thing? And they kind of follow that. And so there's speculation as to about why uh, the passage rates would be lower. But you also can't draw a lot of conclusions just based on one session or two sessions. You ca- they kind of that's why they track it so that they can look at the historical you know trajectory of it and kind of figure that out. But the bar examiners probably know a heck of a lot more about that than I do. That's but, interesting. As part of, uh, as a member of the bar, I'm always following things like that, like what's going on in the practice. I think that's part of being a business owner is not just focusing all your efforts internally. You know, I I liken it to the vice president versus the president type of role in an organization. Vice president's usually like focused internally and let's do the things efficiently that we need to do and let's do them well. But the president has to have more of a perspective about what's going on outside of our office, what's going on in our city and in society generally, and then how do we fit into that? And how does how do we make what we do make sense in the larger picture of things? So, how are you staying in touch then with your community, or is it just as simple as being out in the community, like you were at court this morning? So you know, yeah, it's it's everything. It's it's a lifestyle. It's it's. Uh, so I guess let me my, ask specifically, yeah. are you in any groups or yes. do you do any weekly meetups? Okay. What are yes. they? Um, right now, for example, I'm president of the Missouri Creditors Bar Association, or sorry, not association, Missouri Creditors Bar Inc. It's MCBI. Um, and that's basically just a trade group of collection attorneys or collection type attorneys in Missouri. And um, you might think we would be highly competitive with each other because it's um, you know, kind of a, a niche field, but it, the opposite's actually true. It's very collaborative. We we kind of share openly. Um, there's plenty of work to go around, and and uh, so yeah, we get together and we share ideas and we share uh, 
problems that we've had or specific counties where we've had issues with this or that. And I mean, it's really valuable to get feedback from a, another attorney that says, yes, I've had that same problem. Here's what I did. Or no, we haven't had that same problem because we do it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really valuable. So um, so we're members of uh, the uh, um, ACA, which is the, the American, um, oh, it, 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 the acronym is actually not accurate. It's like the American Association of Credit and Collection Professionals, but they call it ACA. Um, MCBI, uh, uh, Missouri Collectors Association, which is kind of nested under ACA. MCBI is kind of nested under what used to be called NARCA, but now it's called NCBA. It's the National Creditors Bar, so it's specific to creditors attorneys, whereas ACA is is open to attorneys and collection agencies and uh, other types of professionals. So um, I'm a past president of the Kansas Creditors Attorneys Association, and uh, we're members of HFMA. We are, and I'm in the Parkville Rotary Club, and so I, I stay connected with um, you know, service opportunities and people, uh, you know, accountants and bankers and real estate people and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I go to the meetings in person. It's, and I am probably. Uh, bringing down the average age of our group a little bit, even at 42 years young. Uh, but I, I just think it's really important to meet with people face-to-face and get out from behind your desk and get out in the community and just... Um, we have speakers on topics of civic interest and, and we just get together and we gather for lunch every Friday and that's what we do. And then beyond that, it's just, you know, it's talking to my neighbors, it's talking to uh, parents at, at school, other parents and... Um, keeping up with my friends and cousins and family and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's all those things. In the early 40s, you're still on the younger side in your profession? I would say. Well, I mean, that's an obvious answer. Yes. But it, it's that you're that yet much younger? I feel like for the role that I'm in, I'm much younger than most people are. Um, okay, that makes sense. But. I feel like kind of that's always been the case. I've always looked young for my age and, and uh, always felt like people have underestimated me. And, and so it's, it's, my career has really been no different. It's just kind of the same thing. How do you feel that people underestimate you? I don't know. I just kind of have always felt like I, I think part of it is being one of eight <laughs> kids and, and kind of feeling at times uh, lost in the shuffle, although that's no reflection on my siblings or my parents. I mean... God love them all. They're they're fantastic, uh, and we still get along just as well as well, probably really, better than when we were children. You have a really um, great family. Yeah, and and uh, so uh, I d- I definitely feel like a lot of my siblings were more athletically gifted than me, more intellectually gifted than me. But I feel like I have a pretty good balance of all those things. So maybe I I got them in the end. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I just I just I just kind of felt like uh, I didn't have a lot of expectations, but I was still kind of out to prove to people that I could I could do it. And if I told you more about my childhood, you, you'd probably have some some real reservations about my ability to succeed in the world, but I think, uh, I think uh, I've pleasantly surprised a lot of people. Do you want to share one or two of those things? Oh, just, you know, I, I would act up and act out and just kind of... Uh, you? Yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> it might, might be hard to believe, but... Yeah, just I don't uh, remember that. Just, I, I, I was just well, they call it curiosity now, but uh, I think when I was a kid, they called it mischief. You know, so I thought it was called detention. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was some of that too. I thought it was called sitting in the hall. 
<laughs> sometimes you have those feelings about the way you navigate the world, and it's not necessarily based a lot in reality. It's just kind of like your, your own perspective about what happens. I've learned a lot more about that through uh, through the Enneagram, and, and uh, it's just, you know, you kind of you develop ways of surviving and ways of navigating the world when you're a child, and you carry a lot of that with you into adulthood, whether you know it or not. And the Enneagram has really helped me um, give language to those sorts of dynamics and kind of help me learn about me and how I tick. And Please educate me and remind me what that is. The Enneagram is, is something our church uses, uh, okay. but, it, but it's, it's not a religious thing necessarily. Um, but Pronounce it's, it again. Enneagram, it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Yeah, you can go look it up. It's, it's really cool, but it's, it's helped me uh, learn how I tick and how other people tick and how th- those can be really different things. A lot of it's based on how you're... Um, how you learn to deal with trauma. We all have trauma from our childhood, whether that's on a grand scale or, or something relatively minor, but ways you develop to survive and to navigate the world. And then you kind of carry a lot of those things with you into adulthood, but they kind of go unspoken. And so it's just kind of about learning about those things and giving language to those things so that you can name them and understand them and, and learn how to become like a better person, like more well-rounded. But it's faith-based? Or you found it through your church? I I found it through my church because a lot of our church members do it. The church offers it then? Well, obviously. They didn't really offer it. It was just sort of uh, uh, something that kind of was uh, some of the people in the church did. And so so we took a a class on it. My wife and our church group, we did a class on it and kind of just just for... uh, Kind of personal betterment, you know, uh-huh. and it's it's just it does kind of give you some empathy for other people, and 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 kind of helps you extend generous assumptions about the way that people decide things and and navigate the world, and so it kind of helps you with that. And I've found that to be professionally helpful too, because um, whereas I would draw a lot of hasty conclusions about people's evil motives and, and, and quick to do so um, based on, you know, a court filing or a conversation or an email. Um, now, I'm uh, instead of drawing those conclusions, I get curious. I say, okay, well, what's really going on here? What is this person doing? Why would they say something like that? Or why would they do this? Or why would they take this course of action? So it just kind of has allowed me to, to have more of an open mind and to kind of when when things get weird to get more curious. Scott Walter Bach, <laughs> when things get weird, get more curious. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, maybe that's a that's a good tagline. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> Best scene Walter Bach, when things get weird, we get curious. Yeah, we like to, we'll, we we Can we run <laughs> We like to say that we've heard it all, but yet we still really listen. And it kind so, of goes to that point. And I was joking, but um, th- that was well said. I like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so it sounds like you're pretty religious. Yeah. I, I grew up Catholic, um, and I've always uh, found a place for that in my life all through college and everything. I wouldn't say I was a zealot by any stretch of the imagination, um, there's times in my life where I've been stronger with it than others, but I would say nowadays, um, and this is partly because of my wife too, but I, I would say my faith is as strong as it's ever been. We go to a non-denominational church here in Midtown now, um, not far from here. Uh, yeah, we make the trek, the 20-minute trek down into the city every Sunday morning. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, so it's so far, Scott. It's worth it. Well, for for some people in the suburbs, their bubble know, is really know, their bubble, and we try I not know. to do that. But yeah, it, having that connection to the city and different 
people of, of different races and ethnicities and socioeconomic states in life. I, I think that's that's really important for us. But but yeah, it's um, it's something I think about a lot and and still um, try to actively practice. And I think it that's a, a big thing, not just for me personally, but I I feel like it overflows and infects my professional career and my marriage and my uh, relationship with my kids and everything. Yeah. You're saying a lot of things we've heard before. Religion comes up in this podcast um, frequently. Yeah, I think I'd say it's, half it's, the guests that, that you know, as you know, it's a very open, candid dialogue that we have here. But um, I mean, most of our guests bring up religion so far. I think when you have as a grounding like, tool, it, yeah, an open format. That I mean, how can you not? It's it's part of. Well, if you're not religious, you cannot. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. But uh, for somebody that is, it, it usually is fairly central to their identity. And yeah, so, I'm, I'm of learning. Of course, that. I think that 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 would that would come up for me. It's not only central to my identity, like growing up and in my marriage and in my relationships with my kids. It's also central to like our our activities in a, in a, on a daily basis. And as my kids get older, they're going to get more and more involved in church-based type of activities. Do your so. children go to a Catholic school? No, they go to a public school. Okay. Yeah. Because you were 12 years Catholic, right? Yes. St. Therese, the little flower. That's right. Um, with myself, K through 12, and then St. Pius. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So, so you didn't want your children to go private, or was it just a geographical thing? I, I would have been okay if it's a they long did, drive. but my, my wife is not Catholic. She was oh, okay. kind of raised in a non-denominational Christian church, and so early on in our marriage, we would do the switch-off thing where we'd go to my church sometimes and go to her church sometimes, uh-huh. and that was okay, but... Uh, especially when we had no children, th- that seemed to work just fine. Scott, I forgot you mentioned you do attend a non-denominational church, so it makes sense you wouldn't want your children to attend a Catholic. I don't think I'd have any problem with it, and I don't think she necessarily would either. It's not that's not like we're anti that. In fact, like basically all my other siblings and all their kids, I think they all pretty much still go to Catholic schools. Okay, and, um, but for me. Um, it just seemed to to be a better fit to do what we're doing. I think it, it's better for my wife. She feels more at home in, in a non-denominational church, and we've I think we've tended to have more uh, robust conversations about faith based on what we're hearing at at the uh, non-denominational churches versus the Catholic church. And there's nothing wrong with the Catholic church. It's just she didn't grow up with it, and so it's just not quite as uh, relatable, central, and relatable. Yeah. Yeah, and and then once we had kids, we decided, you know what, we we really need to pick one and stick with it because we want our church one kid. We, we want our all four of our kids <laughs> to have a consistent like experience with that and have like and now it's kind of cool. Like my nine year old and my seven year old, they have like church friends like that they're um, excited to go see on on Sunday morning when they go to their class or whatever. So so that's been cool. And as they get older into middle school and high school, they have more activities for for those age groups and um i'm not looking forward to the to the drive to you know take them down there to do that like on a wednesday night or something but that's just going to be a sacrifice that we make and it's it's worth it so um you know maybe it's it's disappointing to uh perhaps to my family members or my parents that we're not like you know catholic quote unquote uh that we're not like you know practicing that on a regular basis but um, I don't sense that anybody is disappointed with with us with me about it because I think they know they see the benefits of what it's provided us 
and that it's been really good for my marriage and that, um, you know, when they talk to me about it, I talk about how my faith is as strong as it's ever been. And so for that reason, um, how could you not be happy for somebody and say, go forth and prosper, you know? Would your family judge you if you didn't have faith? I don't think so. Okay. I think they would want it for me very badly to the point of trying to be as persuasive as they could about it. Sure. Yeah. Because it's... It's, it was such a fundamental, central thing in my parents' lives and, and in our childhood and everything that, yeah, I think they would want that very badly for me if, if I didn't. I think that if I wasn't going to church at all, they'd be trying to get me to go back to church. But going to a different church, I think, has been kind of okay because I think they understand the, the value of it for me and, and the place that I'm at with the spouse that I've chosen. Interesting. Interesting. So you've talked about, you know, bef- before we started, you know, you, you're a runner. I'm a runner, yeah. Helps clear the head. Yeah, I've talked to people about this recently, like even last week, about uh, how no matter how extroverted or introverted you are, I think introverted people need some social interaction and extroverted people need some solitude. It's just where you are on that spectrum. Running for me is my time. Nobody's going to interrupt me. I can think freely. I'm not going to stop. It's my 25 minutes of just kind of a little bit of serenity and sometimes a chaotic household and a chaotic <laughs> business. And, and so that's what, that's what running is for me. And, um, I, I need some sort of a physical outlet for, uh, energy. So obviously it provides that too. It's good for you, but also I don't have to pack all my stuff up and go to the gym and be there for an hour and all that. Like, I can just put on my shoes and walk out the front door and go. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've gotten back into it. it. It was high school when I started running in cross country, but then I didn't do it for many, many years. Um, but now, just within the last probably two to three years, maybe a little bit longer than that, maybe four or five years, I've, I've been doing it pretty um, regularly throughout the winter on the treadmill at the gym but then at all other times when when the weather allows just getting out and running around my neighbor usually do three four miles and uh you know my times aren't all that much worse than what i was doing in high school so i think i'm still doing all right and they are (laughs) Uh, since you know your time well share it uh yeah i guess i uh uh, so I'll do a 5K in about 22 to 23 minutes, which I think is pretty good. That's about it's a little under seven minute pace for three miles. Okay, um, I'll be tired when I'm done. <laughs> don't get me wrong; like that's taxing. Uh, and I just did my first half marathon in September in Chicago, and uh, I basically ran it at nine minute pace, so just under two hours. But I think I can take a good 10 or 15 minutes off of that now that I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit. So I'm probably going to go back and do it again this September because I had such a good time doing it, but we'll see. What's the other Scott Walter Bach release besides running? Because you can't run all the time. (sighs) You don't have a lot of free time. I don't have a lot of free time. But I'm learning through this interview what keeps you grounded and what has made you, this is a compliment, pretty much unchanged from when we met. Someone asked me, <clears throat> I forgot who it was, uh, when I told them, you're not going to believe who, you know, who called me. What's the, hasn't changed. 
<laughs> looks the same. Yeah. I mean, and you do, and that's a compliment. Yeah, you know, because yeah, the older I people, get, the more some people lose their hair, buddy. You know, and <laughs> all these other kinds of things. You know, um, but I'm learning that there's a lot of things you do to keep yourself uh, that same honest person that you were. Yeah, the other thing I do a ago. lot of is read. Read. I read, uh, and I I try to read things that will make me uncomfortable. Like okay, things explain. like uh, uh, political things or business leadership type things. You know, sometimes I'll just read fiction just for the fun of it. Because right? again, but, curiosity does what? Yeah. It's, it's, what was that? Well, we already forgot our catchphrase. Uh, curiosity. Uh, when when things get weird, get curious. There you Something go. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it. okay. So you you search uh, the weird and you get curious on. Yeah. It. So. Uh, for example, just like scrolling through social media. So I do Facebook and Instagram and really nothing else. There's nothing else. weird on social media. But yeah, I, I try to read things <laughs> that uh, I don't necessarily just agree with the headline and it's not just confirmation bias. Like I just want to read this because it feels good to, to hear it and that supports kind of my pre-existing notion of whatever the subject matter is. Uh, I try to read things from all different points of view and stay curious and think that's – I don't necessarily agree with that but – Everyone doesn't have my same experience, so uh, or a lot in life, you know. So, so I love it when Facebook starts showing me ads about things that, like, you know, really aren't of interest to me because that tells me I've I've got the algorithm sufficiently confused that they don't, <laughs> don't really know what to make of me. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I read a lot. I read uh, copiously, and you might ask, well, how do I do that? Well, I don't really read a lot of like paperback type books. I do have them. And they're in the nightstand, and every once in a while I get them out when I'm you know, fed up with not being able to find anything good on Netflix or whatever. Uh, that hasn't been the case recently. There's lots of good stuff on <laughs> But uh, uh, I, I read a lot uh, audiobooks, like while I'm driving. So, you know, I, we drive a lot for work, and I'm in St. Louis probably at least once or twice a month, if not more. Um, I've recently been to Springfield. Um, we used to regularly make trips to Wichita and Lawrence and all you know all kinds mm-hmm. of places. So we, we drive quite a bit, and um, I'll put my book on and go. And, and no, I can so. relate. That's what podcasts are for me. Yeah, and, and sometimes I'll do um, podcasts. That's too. Ex- yeah. exactly. That's really all I listen to in, in the car is podcasts. Yeah, when I first started, you know, I was listening to music, and then I'd listen to sports talk radio. And you, there's only so much of that that really is of you know, great relevance to me. So I, I feel like that's a, a great use of my time. And, and it does pass the time, you know, when, when you're driving on a long drive by yourself. I also think age has something to do with it because I had, be I had lunch with an industry <laughs> rep recently. And um, he said, you know, a lot of it's just my ears. <laughs> I can't, you know, I don't want to, li- I can't listen to that music anymore because I just, it's yeah. 8.30 in the morning and a 4-4 rhythm hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or fair, fair point. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I'm going a short distance, I'll just listen to NPR, you know, or just, just cause it's easy to turn on FM and, you know, they, they always, you know, have, have until the signal stuff. changes. Or... Yeah. Right. Right. And, or they do too many of the commercials and I'll do something else. <laughs> There's no such thing as too many commercials. Uh, well, in your business, Come no. on. <laughs> yeah. You said Netflix. I've heard yours on there, so I listen to at least yeah, some of them. That's right. <laughs> the little agency that roars. Tagline and the podcast. Um, since we're on the subject, what, what are you consuming in terms of media? Oh, 
what am I? So I'm... What kind I'm, of household are you? What's oh, the Walter Bach household? Oh, gosh. Um, are you just all over because you have four kids? Yeah. Do you have it all? So a lot of it for my oldest is sports stuff. Like, he's he's really into MLS and sporting. Um, so and the Chiefs. ESPN. Um, and he always wants to update me on the, the snow report in Utah. Uh, my sister lives in Utah, and we've been out there skiing, and we're, we have a trip planned to go again in February. So he gives nice. me the... The snow report from Utah, so he kn- so we know what the slopes are going to look like in in February. Um, but what are we watching? What are we reading? I don't know. My wife and I we watch uh, Love Is Blind on Netflix. Yeah. Wa- I'm, I'm finishing up Dahmer now, so no spoilers. Don't yeah, I'm, I'm not done with it yet. Um, he goes to jail. We watch. <laughs> yeah, <I'll lie. laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> he dies in the end. Yeah, Oops. I guess it is based on a true story. It's already kind of spoiled. Right into it. <laughs> uh, but at our house, honestly, with the kids, we watch a lot of Forged in Fire. Uh, it's it's a show about them making knives and swords. It's I've fantastic. It's so interesting. And then they test them. Yeah. My okay. Kids, here's my problem. The kids love it. All right. Tell me what you think about the ballistic tests. I think, and they this don't is, do it real often. I thought they do it every show. No. When they make the dummies with the silicone dummies with oh, the organs. Oh, ballistics dummy? Wait, okay. Yeah, I they do that I don't know the words. I thought you meant when they actually shoot the sword with the, okay, like, okay, with let the me, bullet. Let me, no, no, no. Okay, I used the wrong word probably. But when they have the the, uh, the gel body yes. busts. Yes, And then they have liter- literally like a heart, a liver, and they have the organs yes. in them filled with like liquid. That can't be cheap. No, it can't. Uh, it can't well, no, it cannot, but. Come on, I mean Netflix the, has a good budget. Yeah, they don't, and they don't really All probably. Right. But where I was going is the three dudes who do the judging. They get a little carried away when they start stabbing that thing. Yeah, do they not? Totally. I mean, you know, that's kind of part of the fun of it, though. It is, but <laughs> I don't know. They're they're trying to break the weapons so that they can distinguish one. You know, from the other. It looks like a man in his mid fifties playing army real hard. Yeah, well, he's you know he's a martial artist. I'm like, is he? yeah, you go get yours. Is he? You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Well, well, the one that mainly does it. My son actually wanted to be him for Halloween. Oh, really? <laughs> but we weren't sure anyone would get it, and we it's ran out of time. It's a fun show, though. Though they give it, them challenges, and yes, they have to forge and they, tools. And... They learn a lot just about like science and uh, you know perseverance and and other people judging your work and just it's it's fascinating my kids and i have i think we've watched like every season we actually subscribed to the history channel vault so we could get the first seven seasons because i think netflix only has like season seven and eight so okay. yeah we're all right at. all right i didn't i only gave it a few episodes because i don't know it just it sizzled like out on me but yeah, I thought it's one the, of those things like the more you get into it like you like you can just once you get to that point, like you can just watch all the episodes and it's fascinating. I've I've even gone back and rewatched episodes. Like it's that pathetic. Just but, the body test is like you know. Can't we use a pumpkin or right? <laughs> can't, we, right. can't we use a ripe watermelon? There's only where's so Gallagher? Many, and I think part of it too for me is that there's only so many kids movies and kids shows. Some of them are just torture to watch with the kids. So we're always looking for something that you know we both enjoy somewhat and that that seems to be one thing where you know <laughs> we we both enjoy it so come on son let's yeah. watch these men destroy this doll. and we, we you know we we try to limit screen time you know for obvious child developmental reasons so we 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 have specific shows that we'll watch like you know at specific times but uh yeah we try not to do technology aimlessly or alone it always has to be 
together and with a purpose. Aimlessly or alone. Yeah. Not my thing. That would destroy <laughs> all of my watching habits. <laughs> if someone said you cannot watch aimlessly or alone, I would say, well, then take the TV out. <laughs> Why are we here? Why? What am I doing? <laughs> Uh, it, it comes from a book, TechWise Family. It's one of, one of the one of the books I read that uh, kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable, but I think has made me better. I think his name is Andy Crouch, and it is more of a faith based thing. But it's it's about how you know you have a lot of great little quips you live by. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, why you're a great guy. Uh, well, I I try. I think aimlessly I got a little, and alone. Yeah, they say you shouldn't do technology aimlessly or alone. You should do it. I disagree. Together and and for a purpose. Why? What if they talk? <laughs> well, I, I think it's it's more for like a family, like setting up rules I'm for like kidding. a family. I'm but, but but yeah, I'm I think not it's, kidding. With kids, you have to watch it because they can they can do that instead of doing the the childhood development. Okay, what's things your that they show then? What's this? What's your show? Just like running is your time. You're 25 minutes. Yeah. What's your show? I want to hear you say you watch something aimlessly and alone right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, I mean, what I, is it? I can get sucked into something like that. All yeah, right, what is it's it? It's usually something. What are you doing? Like, like lately? Well, lately it's been mm-hmm. Dahmer or The Watchers, but okay. I mean, it changes over time, right. uh, you know? But usually it's, it's something like that, like uh, uh, either a docudrama or like, a, like real crime, something like that. Yeah, I'm usually totally fascinated by why people commit. The crimes that they commit. So usually it's it's something like that. Where, but that's after the kids go to bed. They don't watch that stuff with me. <laughs> well, no, no, that wouldn't be cool. Yeah, that wouldn't be alone either. Right, right. Um, I like that. Aimlessly and alone. I won't practice it, but I like that. <laughs> I think when, it's a good rule of thumb. I like and and the other rule of thumb when things get wild, get or cute. weird. Weird. We okay. Weird or wild. No, I like weird better <laughs> because it makes more sense. When yeah, things get it, weird, get curious. Yeah, when, when something happens that you're not expecting or that you would normally hastily ascribe a, uh, you know, a, 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 an evil motive to somebody, you know, stay curious and think about, like, well, where are they coming from? Why would they be doing this? What's their end game? What, what can I learn from this? You know, and that's, that's really helped me. Um, also helped me at work, like, take some of the... Um, the personal feelings out of it and be able to look at something objectively and be okay if the world doesn't function exactly how Scott Walterbach thinks it should function. Like, it's, it's okay. Like, we're going to live even if this thing didn't go the way I think it should have or the way that works out best for me in the long run. It's okay if it doesn't work out that way. We're, we're going to be okay. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so here's the... I didn't plan on asking this question, but... Um, we're having a great conversation. And uh, I talked about how unique it was and novel that you um, reached out. What was it like seeing me after 35 years? Because, again, you haven't changed. Like, yeah. you're the same, dude. Like, you look the same. You didn't age at all. You're still a good human, obviously. Um, got a cool I appreciate tie on right that. Now. It's, it's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I would say the feeling was very similar. I, I felt oh, like. Oh, come on. Uh, I think when we uh, when we reached out to you, it, it was a sort of a breath of fresh air as as far as like trying to start a new marketing effort um, without ever having really done anything like that before. Working with somebody I already knew and trusted obviously is is very um, 
very much what I try to do and very much uh, put us at ease that we knew we were going to get a fair deal and and probably and, and I know your agency's been around a long time so I knew we were going to get good quality work um, and that was sort of a, also a way to to talk my partner Matt into doing something like this or trying something like this when it wouldn't necessarily been like something he was gung-ho about doing not necessarily against it but I was like you know I know somebody here locally I grew up with him like Let's give it a shot and and see what happens. So, yeah, I'd say my my impression was was a lot the same. I yeah, your business like, doesn't really, you're not too, you're not really advertising dependent, right? And so, yes, to go out of pocket and spend money on advertising um, can be tough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it's it's been fun to to kind of reconnect and yeah, talk, talk about little league baseball and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> go Orioles! Yeah, <laughs> what? Um, what do you wish people knew about Bessie and Walter Bach or about what you do? Um, I wish they would know that uh, the Google reviews aren't, uh, aren't the full picture of what we are, you know. Um, I, I would like people to know that we're local, that we care, and that we try really hard. Let me, let me stop you. Yeah. Because you said that. Now people are going to look at your Google reviews. Yeah. Do yeah, yourself, be fair to yourself and explain why they're that way. Well, we do debt collection, so we meet people when they're not at their best, and uh, we don't judge them for that. And um, you can read my review on there. I, I kind of preface a lot of that okay. with what you're going to see on there. But um, I wish people knew that um, we are local, that we uh, have a vested interest in being here and doing good work, and that... Um, we're smart, we're nimble, we're, we have, Matt and I are both propped up daily by our staff. They're incredible people. Um, we've given them the autonomy to be themselves and to do their work and to prioritize and things like that. And, and you know, we, we have seen them just flourish. And that's kind of one of the best things that we do is provide people good jobs at a living wage and a comfortable place to work a productive place to work with with plenty of work to do um yeah i i would just say that uh i wish people would get to know us personally i think they'd like us a lot better than just saying well that's just another debt collection law firm and they're just in it for themselves because that's that's what a lot of people think yeah we have a job to do but it's it's more complicated than that and we do want to get to know you and get to hear your story um it's not not necessarily it doesn't always change the job that we have to do but chances are pretty good we can make the process less painful than it needs to be and for our clients i think they our clients see exactly who we are because they're not interacting with somebody else at the top while while everybody else does the work they're mm-hmm. they're seeing us and they know us and and our names out there and i think we have a pretty good reputation in the industry as, as people who are have enough experience that we really know what we're doing, but we're young enough that we're going to be around a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really good good spot for us to be. You said the word nimble. Yeah. It's a good way of describing it. I often describe the agency as a, the perfect combination of agility and experience. Yes. Um, because we kind of have you know different age spectrums here. Um, and then we don't. We also don't have any design on really ever becoming anything different than that. We're not gonna. Yes. We're not gonna hire twenty five more lawyers and move downtown. Eight. Like we're sometimes yep. enough is enough, and and we're 
we're really good and really fortunate. We're really good at what we do and really fortunate to have the work to do mm-hmm. it. And, um, you know, I don't think any of us are really uh, ambitious about becoming something else. I, I completely know what you mean. I'm not trying to close McDonald's. Right. I'm not even trying to close Duncan. Right. You know, I'm not trying to get big like that. Um, yeah. And there are <laughs> national type creditors that we could go after and expand states that we practice in and stuff like that. And then there just doesn't seem to be a real good reason to do that. Exactly. We just want to take what we have because there's, I mean, frankly, there's plenty to do. And we just want to do this and do it really well and see what comes of that. Yeah. Have you, do you watch, um, do you watch or do you read through trade publications or do you listen to anything recently, currently, 2022, regarding um, increase in household debt and the fact that interest rates are going up? Are you seeing... Um, we, I do sort of follow it. Some of our trade groups have, uh, they do studies on like levels of credit card debt and um, levels of medical debt and what that does, in, especially in the statistics of who files bankruptcy and when and how much and things like that. So I do follow it generally. I haven't seen a lot of that recently. I think it takes a little time for some of those studies to come out. But um, I think as interest rates go up, um, that's going to have more of an effect on the real estate side of our work than, uh, than on the collection side. Because when interest rates grow up, uh, sorry, when interest rates go up, the nature of real estate investment changes. The interest rates and the time with, you, you know, that you would hold a property or sell a property and all that, that, that really has a, an effect on that kind of stuff. A lot of people say to us, well, don't you want the economy to be bad so that nobody's paying their bills. And the answer to that, to the surprise to some people, is no, absolutely not. When the economy is good, there's plenty of people that still don't pay their bills, but they're able to pay their bills. If, no, if people are actually functionally unable to pay their bills, then there's nothing out there for us to go collect. So we want the economy to be good, and there's still plenty of work to do, so I'm not worried about that. You know, we, we regularly teach uh, credit abuse resistance education to... Uh, high schoolers in the area. Um, it's a program that's run by the bankruptcy court here locally, and they have it in Columbia and St. Louis as well. Um, so, yeah, we're not really concerned about about that. But back to your question about uh, the economy and everything, uh, I'm just generally aware, as any kind of uh, uh, business person would be, that that rates are going up and and uh, that the job market. Um, it was kind of our impression during the pandemic that a lot of people were still working and even doing quite well. The The unemployment rate was still very low. Um, now I understand it's getting a little bit harder for uh, the the uneducated and the sort of the entry level to find those entry level jobs. Uh, so I think that's going to affect things as well. But, you know, for somebody that's, for example, of working age but uneducated and can't find a job, I'm probably not going to see them come across my desk because in order for it to get to me, the creditor or the agency that's handling their bad debt on their behalf has to believe that there's some ability but just an unwillingness to pay. Okay. So uh, usually they're telling me, you know, or they're helping me with providing me information to indicate where to go get it 
after we get a judgment. And if there is no place to go get it, mm-hmm. then then I probably don't see a lot of those. That doesn't mean things don't change and we get cases that we can't collect. That happens all the time. But as far as, you know, the the people who are the worst off, people who are filing bankruptcy or not working everything, I'm usually probably not going to see a lot of those because there's nothing there for us to, to get in the end. It makes sense. Yeah. And we, we're, we're trying to focus our efforts, as any business person would be focusing your efforts on what you're going to get and a return on your investment for. So we're trying to focus our efforts on the files that produce. And like you said, you've diversified so that right. you weren't so heavily into healthcare. Go ahead and uh, name your categories. Yeah, we do some government collections. We, do, we represent uh, universities and uh, uh, colleges. We do utilities, landlords. Um, hospitals, healthcare providers, uh, basically kind of anybody that you can think of that you would owe money to uh, in, okay. uh, in, in a daily, like on a daily basis and mm-hmm. in, in your regular consumer life, that's who we would represent. We also represent uh, businesses that where, you know, like on like, let's say a, a contract dispute or a lease that they haven't paid or something like that. So we'll do some commercial collections as well. And then, and then along with that, we do probate, uh, work, workers' comp, fee disputes, um, just, you know, wherever you need to go to collect it. We don't just, um, for example, make phone calls or file lawsuits. We'll go into kind of any of those other areas. Like if the person files a bankruptcy, we'll file a claim in the bankruptcy under certain, uh, f- you know, fact patterns where that makes sense to do it. So uh, just doing that central thing of like collections, that's why I refer to it as creditor's rights, because yeah, you might start with collections, but really that kind of manifests in a lot of different areas, filing hospital liens and doing all, all kinds of things that, that it might take um, different avenues that you go down to try to go out into the world and find the money and, and go get it mm-hmm. for the person that's that it, to whom it's rightfully owed. Nice. Yeah. So it's, when- it's complicated enough that it's interesting, but it's also... Um, something that's such a niche that when we do it, because we do it in volume, that we can get we get a wealth of experience more quickly than other attorneys get it. And so um, we're just uniquely situated to, to do that. Not to mention we have not just the, like the legal experience for like Matt and myself and our other attorneys, but we also have the staff dedicated to it that really know what they're doing. We have software specific to collections. And so, you know, we're just, we're well-situated to, to be able to handle those files in an, an efficient and effective manner. Well, I think when your mind is where yours is and your intentions are where they are yours, um, then you have no choice but to do a really good job. Yeah, yeah. And to some extent, I think the days of uh, the sole proprietor, you know, opening up an office by the courthouse and just doing whatever comes in the door, I think a lot of those days are, are days gone by. And now attorneys, be based on, you know, rules of ethics and just efficiency and trying to, you know, have a profit margin, uh, sometimes it's just a lot better to uh, kind of stay in your lane and develop a niche and, and then the stuff that comes to you that's not within your niche, you know, direct those folks to somebody who is really mm-hmm. good at that. You know, somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need a divorce. That's great. I'm not your guy, but I can help you find a guy because I know a lot right. of attorneys. Right. So, right. you know, and I tell people finding the right attorney is not half the battle. It's like 75 percent of the battle. Once you find the right attorney that is good at the thing you need them to be good at and they're willing to take it, then the rest of the dominoes sort of 
you know, sure. they, they sort of fall a, as they should if you've got the right attorney with the right experience and the right, um, you know, the right temperament and the right willingness to, to take on your case. That makes sense. Yeah. And to kind of wrap things up, I think, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. I mean, you know, the more we've sat here and chatted, it's obvious kind of how you've become the person you are and how you've maintained the person you were into that, you know, to adulthood. Yeah. It's not easy to do. I think it was, uh, I, I might get this wrong, but I think it was Marty Schottenheimer that said, somebody accused him of being lucky and he said, well, luck is preparation meets opportunity. And I feel like that's been a lot of my life is, is preparing for the moment when things happen and being ready for it. And that's how I was with the law practice. And I talked to our staff about that as like, you know, why do we need to do it this way? Or why are we preparing for this or whatever? It's because, you know, when the time comes, then it's too late. You, it's, you, have, to, you have to do all the hard work up front so that when the opportunity arises, you're, you're ready for it. And so that's kind of my approach to, to the law practice. I don't necessarily have, you know, the type of work or the, the amount of work that I want right now, but we're just going to kind of focus on the things that we can control and get good at them. And then when the, when the opportunity arises, we'll be ready. And some people will call that luck, sure. But we know it's more than that. And when things get weird. And when things get weird, we stay curious. Get curious. Get curious. <laughs> That's right. Scott, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank thanks. you so much for coming yeah, we'll by. Do it again I had sometime. a busy morning. Um, shake your hand. Let's get you out of here. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Little Agency That Roars podcast. Yeah. Be sure to find us on yeah, Facebook, totally Instagram, and on FasoniPartners.com yeah. under podcast. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, and leave a review. If you want to submit an interview or submit yourself for an interview, please email roar at FasoniPartners.com. That's R-O-A-R at FasoniPartners.com. Thanks. Thanks.